nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Thank you all for joining us again for Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, and uh, today I am honored to welcome two chief nursing officers, Bob Dent from Georgia and Kit Bredemus from Texas. Um, They will be with me today to talk about leading during crisis with head, heart, and courage. Uh, The uh, name of our show today is actually COVID-19, CNOs with Heart for Healthcare. So um, I was uh, initially introduced to both of these gentlemen through um, a conversation I had on Once a Nurse a a few weeks ago on May 11th with Joe Tai, who is from Values Coach. And he was on the show to talk uh, about his book, The Florence Prescription, which is seriously and humorously looking at how Florence Nightingale might look at our healthcare organizations of today. He may need to rewrite that book again in the next few weeks because so many things have changed. Um, So anyway, he told me about these two uh, CNOs that he knew that he felt were some of the finest people he'd ever met, and then also finest CNOs. So so currently, our government and our healthcare leaders in general have made many mistakes during this crisis as they've been inventing solutions to COVID-19 on the fly. But some specific organizations have taken an undeniably bad situation and poured heart and soul into working with their healthcare workers to support, encourage, and find solutions in each moment. The most important thing nurses need in a crisis is to know that their administration has their back. Thank you both for joining us for a lively and sincere look at the role of CNO in healthcare during a crisis. So um, uh, my two guests again are, uh, even though they work in very different hospitals in different states, they actually started as mentor and mentee. So Bob Dent is vice president now of patient care services and chief nursing officer at three of Emory Decatur hospitals. And Kit Bredemus is a vice president of nursing and chief nursing officer at Midland Midland Memorial Hospital, is that right, at Midland, Texas? Um, Okay. Uh, Bob, could you tell us a little bit about your, just kind of a quick bio and what brought you into nursing in the first place and then how you became a CNO? Sure. So I'm Bob Dent and I've been a nurse and nurse leader for probably 31 years. Uh, I've uh, had the opportunity, I started my career in critical care and then I've had the opportunity to lead in uh, long-term care. Uh, small and large hospitals and uh, uh, one hospital to uh, within three multiple hospitals within a system. And I've also had the opportunity to serve as interim uh, dean of a local community college and have been faculty or adjunct faculty in, in three different universities and, uh, and the author, co-author of uh, four books with Joe Tai, who you just mm-hmm. mentioned, our latest book, uh, Building a Culture of Ownership in Healthcare, the second edition just recently published. 
but I, I came into nursing as a as a young as a young man in high school through a medical explorers program in West Texas. A, a CNO there had started that uh, medical explorers program, and I joined as a junior in high school, and uh, haven't looked back on that. Uh, so that's um, a little bit about me in a nutshell. I know we've got a lot of things to discuss, but uh, yeah. Kit and I have had the opportunity to work with each other for, for quite some time. So I'm, I'm glad to be on the show with Kit and, and Leanne. It's good that you invited us. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And Kit, could you also tell us kind of the same thing, a short bio and how you came into nursing and then how you came to have Bob's old job, actually? Yeah, so it's a it's a fun story. I uh, originally did not actually intend to be a nurse. I uh, graduated from high school with a, a CNA course, and I was using that to parlay that into a physical therapy career. And then realized about halfway through that I it, it was not for me. This was not my calling. And mm-hmm. so, uh, speaking with a counselor, uh, it looked like nursing would be a good option for me. And it was in my second semester of nursing school that I realized, yeah, this is this is where I'm supposed to be. This this happened for a reason. So, mm. really found my passion for nursing, and uh, yeah. had the opportunity to uh, graduate, come back home uh, to Midland. I'm originally from Midland, uh, so go work at my hometown hospital, uh, starting the ER there. And the only thing I knew I didn't want to do was was leadership. <laughs> I did not want to be a manager <laughs> or a boss, uh, but ultimately realized uh, through my colleagues and through some of my uh, great leaders that I had that, that I had some potential for it and uh, worked my way up to the director role in the emergency department uh, from a frontline staff position and then had the opportunity to work with uh, Bob as my CNO and really just learning from him about what a, what a good leader should be and what a, a great nurse leader looks like. So I had the opportunity to sit under, under his tutelage and then when he uh, was pursuing a, a new opportunity in Georgia. Uh, his position came open, and I remember one of our early on conversations when I first started the director role and asking Bob to be my, my mentor, mm-hmm. was told him that ultimately my, my dream job would be to take your job, <laughs> would, would be to have the, the CNO role, and uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you wish for, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um so this is a, a very interesting um, that you have this collaboration. I would assume that you would still be able to uh, connect with each other and collaborate. And it seems like one of the tying things between you, again, goes back to Joe Tai, who um, talked about culture of ownership. And that's particularly interesting to me. I, I refer to that. Uh, that type of thing as uh, relational culture, uh, which I think as, you know, talking with Joe, it seems like it's fairly similar. So, Bob, could you tell kind of the essence of what that is and then how um, did you already have that kind of sense of this is the way leadership should be or was there like a metamorphosis for you that that you uh, came over and said, this is it, this is how it should be? Yeah, and when you think about culture of ownership, um, within what we understand or recognize in that culture of ownership, there are three essential elements in that. And one is uh, the foundation. If you look at it in a a building metaphor, the the foundation is around values. Now, that could be your uh, with your personal values and how that connects in with the corporate values of an organization. Uh, So there's got to be connection there uh, between those two. The superstructure within the culture of ownership is about culture, uh, treating people with uh, civility, respect, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, stamping out any sorts of incivility, disrespect, or bullying kinds of behaviors within an organization and across disciplines. And then the third essential element in a culture of ownership is about attitude, you know, recognizing that you know, knowledge and skill, we can all be either have or be trained on that. We can get checked off on competencies. Uh, but the best indicator for outcomes or performance within an organization is going to be the attitude that you bring to work. And so bringing a positive attitude, uh, being, uh, being that way as an example with uh, your, your fellow colleagues and within an organization, uh, just how important that is. Uh, so we've, um, you know, whenever we step back, um, you know, Joe and I have known each other for uh, probably eight years now or more. And, um, and so whenever we had this dialogue and he was talking about this uh, concept, uh, and I'm a, I'm a, a believer in frameworks for uh, how we get things done, and it was mm-hmm. a perfect framework. It's easy, and it was easy to understand, hard to implement in a lot of cases, uh, uh, just because there are so many uh, different toxic people within uh, an organization right. or within healthcare. It's been published uh, over and over again. Uh, but it takes relentless leadership to be able to make those things happen. And uh, we've been successful in, uh, there in Midland and, uh, and uh, in using some of the, the same principles or concepts uh, within my current role as well. So, uh, Kit, um, do you want to add anything to that culture of ownership, or did he pretty much cover what you also think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just coming from a uh, you know frontline perspective, the very first culture of ownership uh, presentation that I attended as a was as a frontline employee, and for me, I immediately bought in for the fact that it it revolves around you as the individual. So a lot of different you know opportunities come up where we have talk about how how you plug into the system and and what you can do for the organization. But really, this for me was a flip on its head. It's what the organization can do for you. And ultimately, it ties back into your values lining up with what we value as the hospital. And so for me, that was one of the big key pieces of the culture of ownership is that it really drills down to the individual. It is about Mm -hmm. you, your value system, and how you uh, exhibit that every day. And it ties into your work, and it ties into all of the other metrics that we start looking at down the road uh, from an empirical standpoint. But ultimately, Mm -hmm. it it starts with you, and it starts with your uh, attitudes, just like Bob said, and it starts with how you... Uh, show up every day. I can really understand. Go ahead, Bob. No, I just think, uh, you know, if you really want to assess the culture of an organization, look at it in crisis. And we've been in crisis mode now uh, since uh, late February, March uh, with COVID and and then the economic crisis. And then currently under with all the civil unrest that we see across the country and the tensions that, uh, that we're seeing and so whenever you think about the culture of an organization, how does that uh, uh, organization stand in that crisis uh, with, with how they respond or react to it? So that is um, exactly the point we want to talk about here next. So um, I'm, I'm thinking, Bob, when did you first have the inkling, oh, this is really going to be big, we need to get prepared for this, and when did that start happening? I distinctly remember um, visiting with a couple of my nurse leaders. We uh, up on the floor. Uh, we had our first patient being admitted. We're hearing what was happening uh, around the world, uh, what was happening already in New York. And, uh, you know, we said, we're not, you know, based on the conversations that I'm having with my nurse leader colleagues, we don't have a lot of time. So we need to plan for not only this unit, but the next two units uh, to be able to wow. open 
uh, 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 that related to COVID, and then to have those conversations with our teams, and then uh, to see that our incident command center would stand up, and then it was, um, you know, we were working, <clears throat> I think, you know, me and my colleagues here, 14, 16 plus hours a day, and mm-hmm. just, just were not off duty, uh, because mm-hmm. there was so much happening and so fast, and and you really had to be there with the staff every step of the way. One of the things that I like in when we've been talking before and <clears throat> also goes with this culture of ownership is that everybody <clears throat> all the way down the line owns the same um, aspect. It's like whatever they can bring to it, their their gifts, their knowledge, their whatever, all gets put into the mix and ownership belongs to everybody. Um, Kit, when did you first know or realize what was coming down the pike and, and start to prepare for it? Yeah, I think the uh, initial preparation started uh, right at the end of February, uh, you know, the very last week. And then I remember exactly on March 13th, uh, Friday, uh, is when we knew, you know, we were going to have to open up our our COVID units. We're going to need to go ahead and flip that, prep it, uh, not only have our ICU ready, but also a med surge area. And then what is our expansion plan going to be when we, you know, hit the, at that time it was 12 on each so what are we going to do once we get more than 24? And and we started that. And and similar to Bob, it was the the same thing. From there, it was every day, 12, 16-hour days uh, that we were up here planning, communicating with staff, making the arrangements, and then having to pivot with whatever new information came out. You know, almost daily at, at that <laughs> at that next wave. Okay, so you were a pivotal part, an integral part of all of that that was going on because, you know, as um, doing this show, I have heard horrendous stories from other organizations where their CNO was at home or their whole C-suite was at home while they were, you know, dealing with whatever was going on and, and trying to deal with it, but also trying to, you know, resolve problems. So do you see yourselves as being like part of that problem solving? Um, you find out from your staff what it is they need, and then that's part of what you do to to um, clear the way for them? Um, you know, this is Bob, but um, <clears throat> yeah, you know, being present with the staff, I was spending so many hours just rounding, and, and, I, and I would round on the same people, you know, multiple times mm-hmm. a day, and I said, you know, I can mm-hmm. see the fear in your eyes, you know, you're, you're yeah. an experienced nurse, and, but I can see that fear in your eyes, and I'm going to keep rounding, and we'll keep having this conversation until I get comfortable. Hey, you're, you're comfortable with how we're going to uh, address these things. But not only hearing and advocating for the staff at the front lines on all the different meetings that we were having across Emory Healthcare, but also engaging them in that conversation. So when you think about it from a professional governance, if it was mm-hmm. going to impact a nurse, whether it was in a COVID cohorted unit, uh, at COVID ICU, uh, taking that information back and having a conversation and getting their input. And I recall we're led by a great leader here with Emory Healthcare, uh, Dr. Sharon Pappas, and uh, she called a, a system a professional practice committee to talk about two or three different subjects or, or things that were happening at about the same time in supply chain management, but really wanted to get the frontline staff's uh, clinicians' input on the decisions that we were going to make. And so I think that's a, that continues to be an important part of the culture that you have within an organization, too, is um, advocating for but also including uh, our clinicians in some of the decisions that were being made. 
So, Kit, do you feel like you are not just uh, uh, the chief nursing officer, but also trying to look into other uh, departments and making sure that they were able to um, meld with your your departments? Yes. So uh, we would uh, we, we did a similar ideal. We had a daily clinical meeting that was multidisciplinary. Our RT physicians, nursing staff, pharmacy, lab. Uh, we would all meet, discuss what the uh, clinical issues were for the day that we needed to work out as that group, and then really get out there and intermingle with not only just yeah nursing staff, but also everyone on the units. Because ultimately, when we we flip the COVID unit, uh, you've got nursing taking on a lot of additional responsibilities for phlebotomy, EBS. Uh, mm-hmm. all the different roles and aspects that were happening. So it was important to to be there with the team, understanding the workflows, understanding what we can do to, to make things better. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because when we talk about the culture of ownership, you know, our operational motto in the hospital is proceed until apprehended. So if you're doing what yes. you think is in the, the patient's and family's best interest, then we've got your back, uh, you know, do it, make the decision, and we'll, we'll work on the rest. And we had to pivot on that a little bit because we had everyone proceeding until apprehended on, on our normal methodology, which normally works. So uh-huh. it was very interesting to, to pivot that model a little bit and that, yes, we want you to proceed with the ideas, let's communicate. We had to open up new lines of communication with uh, improved social media and how we used that access because that's, you know, something that people are checking 24-7. So we operate out of those models and, and really pivoting on that. And I think that was a huge difference maker when, you, when you've got the staff that are able to communicate with you in that role and, and see you on the units and, and we're moving through things together and having that uh, openness and communication. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, how, how is this different than in um, 2008 when we were having the economic crisis that was uh, pushing some of the pressures that were happening on health care? Um, was, do you see this as different? Is this, uh, was this handled in a similar way? I think uh, what we've been able to experience over the last three months, and, and as you, you hear from Dr. Fauci from the, the government, uh, you know, the worst of this isn't over yet. We don't, we can't always predict the future, but, you know, we're, we're expecting that, you know, there possibly is a second wave and, and that it could be just as bad as this one. Uh, but what happened between now, I think it, it, uh, it was really intense. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think it's different from, and you and I, we've had this conversation. I think in mm-hmm. some parts of the country, it was more intense than in other parts of the country. Right. Uh, but here in Georgia, I mean, it was, it was a, it's been intense and it still remains somewhat intense as we go through uh, this. And it takes uh, extreme leadership uh, to be able to, uh, uh, to make it all work um, you know, across mm-hmm. disciplines, 24/7, uh, making sure we have the appropriate resources uh, for for our staff, uh, providing great care to our patients. Uh, being, you know, we cut out uh, visitors. Um, we haven't done that really before in my in my right. 31 years. Uh, so how do we make sure that no one dies alone or? Right. to recognize that the nurses are the eyes and the ears for the patients and families and connecting those dots. So we've learned a lot over the last three months that I think we can take forward to um, uh, we, as we change and adjust uh, how we lead and how we provide care. 
Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from both of you is that even though um, there was a lot of confusion um, about the information we were getting from Dr. Fauci and from our president, it sounds like you guys just went straight ahead, you know, kind of like worst case scenario, let's be prepared for the worst um, rather than waiting to see what's going to happen. Is that true, Kit? Yes, that's correct. I, I remember in those meetings that we would look at the, the current situation, and as we went through, we had those discussions about when when you flatten the curve, you know, is it going to look like you had a uh, extreme reaction to this? But ultimately, we were thinking the next two steps. So we had already mm-hmm. discussed in our, in our facility once we uh, got to our ventilator capacity, which is in the in the, in the 80s. Once we got past 80 ventilators, and we only have 48 critical care beds, um, mm-hmm. what's our next step? You know, how are we going to go uh, to that? And it, and it led to some really great discussions long-term as well that we've uh, started working on of, of what are we going to do in these disaster operations and, and scenarios? What can we learn from these situations real-time mm-hmm. as we're moving into the next phase? And how then did you get that information back? It sounds like a lot of it was in your rounding where you're learning new information and then you're getting it back to the staff or at least to the, the managers almost simultaneously. Is that true, Bob? I think so. You think um, I'm reminded as, as we're sitting here thinking about this, and I think it's Wayne Gretzky who's talking about you go to where the puck is versus where the you know where, where it's going to be versus where it currently is. And it was hard uh-huh. to chase the puck around. Um, you know, as we as we go through healthcare, we learned a lot from the CDC, the World Health Organization, from Dr. Fauci, and and, uh, and others at, uh, from our national areas. But here at Emory, we had um, we have some very strong epidemiologists, infectious disease doctors, and staff nurses, and um, mm-hmm. and we were doing a lot of trials and tests, uh, small tests of change, uh, and uh, and implementing them as we went, staying close to the CDC guidelines. Uh, but Kit mm-hmm. would testify, as I and anybody else, any other nurse in the country, uh, we were making changes almost every day to our playbook right. when it came to caring for these COVID. And uh, it's because we're a learning society, and this is a novel virus, and, and I think we were just learning on the on the fly there and adjusting where we could. Mm-hmm. How do you see, um, I, I'm assuming this is the same all over the country, where we have a certain aspect of the people that are like, yes, this is severe, we need to follow what they're telling us, no matter how difficult it is, and then there's the other aspect that are saying, forget it, this is just bogus, and I'm going to ignore it, it it's, um, you know, a, a conspiracy or whatever else they're coming up with. How does that impact not only the work you're doing in the hospital, but also the nurses and the um, healthcare workers who are coming in from those same, maybe, philosophies on the outside? Kit, I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, so uh, it's it has been a challenge. I know initially when when this first came out, I think there was a, a unified front that this is a you know a, a shared enemy and how we're going to combat it. And as time went on and more information came out there, I think that's where we started to see kind of a, a split and and not mm-hmm. to get too far into to the weeds. But you know there is right. some uh, political motivations with some of these. There's some you know personal beliefs that tie into uh, some of the recommendations as far as social distancing and masking and, and policies like that. So. 
It has been a challenge because you also have to incorporate not only the public knowledge, but you know, we all as individual healthcare workers, we all bring our own political ideas, thoughts, mm-hmm. beliefs uh, into the workplace as well. So uh, it's it's challenging to try to uh, acknowledge that and respect that, but at the same time, we have to make steps that are, are going to try to keep everyone safe using the best knowledge that we have as a uh, collective. And, you know, you can vet it out or argue it how you want to, but there's ultimately things we know that if done in combination can help reduce the risk of spreading uh, this disease or any disease, really. Mm-hmm. So um, making sure that we're, we're trying to acknowledge that real time and, and incorporating that and, and continuing to stay on the same message that we're not only demonstrating that as a organization and as a profession, but then we're also, you know, sharing that same message over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really has been. With, uh, Go ahead, Bob. No, I would agree with uh, with what Kid says. And, you know, whenever I, I've had people, you know, from other parts of the country that text and say the same, ask the same questions, is this really a, a, a true thing? You know, I've mm-hmm. seen the tragedy, um, you know, when, when patients have died and, and the reaction of the family members in, our, in the lobbies of our hospital. And I've, we've had tragedies even within the, the healthcare workforce that are, that are close and uh, see the, the concern and, and, and everything there. Um, I would just say, you know, whether you look at it from a, this culture of ownership and the attitude and the values and things that we bring is that, you know, I think there, there was a, there's over 115,000 or more deaths within the United States already. They're projecting right. over 200,000 by the end of August. To have a little bit of sympathy for those who have lost a loved one uh, through COVID and uh, recognize that it's, it's not a chance. And as right. Kit said, the, the importance of social distancing, wearing your mask, and, uh, staying six feet apart, washing your hands, and doing all of those things are important to protect each mm-hmm. other uh, as we continue to battle this until we either get a vaccine and, or get herd immunity, which neither one of them are close by to us yet. Right. Um, I I've always held the belief that most people in the general public have no idea what nurses do. And I wonder if one of you, I don't care which one, um, could just describe a day of a nurse, uh, say a 12-hour day, uh, what it's like coming in and taking care of COVID patients. Um, Kit, would you like to do that or? Yeah, sure. I can jump in there. So okay. uh, I think really, it, you know, it, it starts at home. <laughs> it starts with you uh, waking up and, and making that conscious decision of, you know, I, I know I'm going into a, a hot zone if I'm working on the COVID unit today or even just in this COVID world uh, that I have the opportunity to expose myself to, to someone who's sick but, but needs my help. So making that first conscious decision and, and then coming in, uh, going through the process of even just getting through the doors has changed for all of our staff and, and our visitors. You know, there's screenings, there's additional uh, work that has to be done before you can even start your shift. And then it goes into the, the natural workflow that you uh, would normally expect. You know, you get your patient assignments, you're going to learn about your patients. And as you go through your day, you know, working on these new either guidelines that have come out and really trying to be pivotal on, you know, where do I get my information from? What's new about today? Uh, am I, you know, using new masks? Do we have a different supply chain disruption? So now our gowns are, are purple instead of yellow and they're made of different fabric. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's those kind of things that, you know, you wouldn't think make a huge difference, but they do. They really do. And then going into that patient's room and seeing them and communicating with them, building that relationship and that rapport, really getting to know them and what drives them is, is one of the, the key factors. And, 
it can be so difficult. Again, we, we also limited visitation. Uh, we had some exceptions to that as we went through, but ultimately a majority of these patients, especially in the COVID unit, are, are alone the entire time. So how do you facilitate that communication uh, mm-hmm. with your patient? How can you do something special for them? We had somebody who uh, went down and, and got cookies because that, that person was just <laughs> really craving cookies. You can't get them. You can't get anything delivered. So, mm-hmm. you know, going down there and making that a, a special day for them. But really, it's it's that you know, that 12 hours that you're in that unit, you're you're locked in there, you're you're doing everything, you're hustling, you're trying to keep up with all the medications and the patient conditions, and then at the end of the day, you know, then it you have to flip that switch again to now I have have to go back home to my family, and I you know I worry about if I'm going to bring something mm-hmm. home to them, so you know what kind of decontamination process am I going to go through, um, what did I touch, what <laughs> where are my things. Mm-hmm. And am I going to be able to turn around and do it all again tomorrow? So making mm-hmm. those conscious decisions and, and really being thoughtful and, and present. And, you know, it can wear at you at the end of the day. And, and sometimes it, it takes a little while to, to bounce back. I imagine. Um, Bob, I'd like to hear from you, too. But we're right at the point of taking a break. And so let's do that now. Uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We're talking today about COVID-19 with two CNOs uh, with Heart for Healthcare. So that is Bob Dent from Georgia and um, Kit Bredemus from Texas. We'll be back in just uh, a couple of minutes and we'll continue our conversation. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22nd, 2020. Womeninhealthcare.org. To be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back. I'm glad you stayed with us. Um, we are talking about COVID-19 from the standpoint of uh, chief nursing officers who have a, a heart for healthcare, and it really shows in a crisis. So my two um, guests today are Bob Dent. He's vice president in patient care services and chief nursing officer for the Emory Decatur Hospitals. And Kit Bredemus is Vice President of Nursing and Chief Nursing Office for Midland Memorial Hospital. So we were just talking about, um, Kit was just talking about some of the amazing things that nurses were doing, already so busy, but reaching out and trying to meet a special need of a patient, like going and getting cookies. So Bob, I'm assuming that's happening at your organization too. Could you tell a little bit about those either innovations or um, human interest efforts, um, that sort of thing? Yeah, the, a lot of the, a lot of similarities between what um, what's happening in Midland and, and here in Georgia, um, and then you hear the the great stories as you see it on social media, uh, what's happening across the country. But um, you know, some of the things recognizing, you know, yes, there's a lot of uh, tragedy that goes with this, a lot of death that we talked about already. There's a lot of success stories in there too, and so we've had um, hospitals within Emory Healthcare that you know, as patients are either extubated, which, you know, some that's not always mm-hmm. the case, or when they get discharged out of the ICU, you know, playing the theme song from Rocky, as, <laughs> uh, as you see that, mm-hmm. uh, staff uh, lining the hallways and, and uh, you know, clapping and, and congratulating them for their recovery in that regard. Uh, we had a, a, a donation from a community partner, uh, lots of iPads that we were able to disseminate in all of our, all of our hospitals. Uh, oh. We did restrict visitors to protect our, our patients, our families, uh, and to protect our staff and others through this. Um, but we used iPads and others so we could be able to FaceTime or uh, so they could see and, and communicate with our, our medical staff and nursing staff. And so lots of uh, positive things there. So we, we did have to, have to innovate uh, on the fly to be able to have uh, those kinds of things happen. In some cases, whenever we've had uh, patients that were uh, discharged or admitted to our long-term acute care hospital uh, after a long hospitalization. If there was an opportunity to, you know, the, the uh, family could meet the patient outside as they transferred. Mm-hmm. And in one case, a, a patient in our acute care rehab uh, hospital 
had a young man, um, but he hadn't been able to see his uh, family in quite some time. And so they, uh, as part of the rehab, was able to take him down uh, stairs and, and was able to see his family from across the parking lot. You know, those mm-hmm. are all, uh, you know, very emotional and touching moments of what are the creativity and the innovation that our staff, medical staff and others have taken uh, across Emory Healthcare to, you know, to really be and continue to be focused on patient and family-centered care. Hmm. Kip, did you uh, think of any others while he was talking? Yeah, I remember uh, one thing I thought was uh, interesting is uh, during one of the the few respite moments, we had uh, some staff that would put together uh, different like TikTok videos uh, ah. to try to add a little <laughs> levity to the uh, situation and uh, specifically to you know put it out there that uh, we have some some hope in all of this. So I, I mm-hmm. think that uh, was one positive thing to see that I'm not uh, very apt on TikTok, but <laughs> but I got on there so I could see see some of those. Uh, and really, yeah, how they would uh, communicate with uh, patients and family, same thing. We had a nurse that proceeded until apprehended and uh, called for a donation of iPads from the community and uh, managed mm. to get quite a few from a couple of local companies that donated that so we could help facilitate those uh, visitations as well. So, Yeah, you know, it's it's so empowering, too, when you're in a situation where you feel like you're so out of control in so many ways that if there's some one thing you can take control over, it feels so good. Mm -hmm. And speaking of control, one of my big uh, things that keeps me awake at night a lot is I'm really worried about the moral traumas that the nurses are experiencing as a nurse in 47 years of nursing, you know, you always have some patients that die and some of them are more heart wrenching than others. Um, I worked in OB, so sometimes that was even babies and moms. Um, And you, you, it didn't, you know, you had one in a, in a very long period of time and you had, a large amount of time to kind of work it through and talk it through and, you know, talk with the other people who are involved in the situation or whatever. But these nurses and doctors and and everybody else that's uh, part of that staff are seeing three, four, five a day in some places, Um, you know, certainly not having chance to, to recoup before you come back and do it all over again. What are your thoughts and, and maybe what are you doing to help um, those moral traumas, and what are your plans for the future? So, Bob, can you start? Yeah, we've um, we've had a very good um, uh, presence by our chaplaincy services, um, you know, through all three hospitals, uh, be readily available to the staff, um, uh, and, and that that's been really good. We've also been having conversations about uh, using the uh, community res- uh, resiliency model. Uh, and how we overcome and be continue to be resilient uh, through through a lot of these things, uh, recognizing that uh, yeah we'll 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 see some of this moral trauma. How we uh, how do we talk about that, and what kinds of things that we can do to you know to overcome you know all of that. When everything settles, you know we st- we're still in the midst of a lot of these things, but um, mm-hmm. uh, but again, leadership and being present and hearing and, and uh, being empathetic with what's uh, what's occurring, and then setting up some of those things that uh, we we can continue to have those conversations, have the support services available to the staff. Mm-hmm. And and Kit. 
Yeah, I think it goes to that same thing. We uh, had several different opportunities to engage with our local uh, psychiatrist to help not only have just some sessions on how to deal with some of the, you know, anxiety that's going on because you're, you know, also having to live your life at home too. How do you explain this to your kids and that you're a mm-hmm. healthcare worker and, and what that means? So that was, you know, definitely a, a point of stress as well. Um, but working with our uh, psychologists and counselors locally to be able to offer some resources for staff, um, online versions as well. So allow some anonymity uh, to talk about feelings. And, and we've really kind of leaned into that piece of vulnerability, you know, that it's mm-hmm. okay to not be okay and mm-hmm. that it's okay to talk about these things. And that's, I think, one of the biggest uh, pivot points that we've dealt with through this pandemic is that there's, you can't just keep going on like this. If you need right. to speak to somebody and you need to, to talk about these things, then, then please do so. And then mm-hmm. providing those resources, and, and sometimes it's engaging with them. You know, it's one thing to have the resources available, but it's another to plug them into those resources or say, hey, you know, I, I've, I've noticed these behaviors. Is there anything I can help you mm-hmm. with? Is there anything you want to talk about? And I think that's been what's been really uh, great to see through this. If you look for those silver linings, is that it's opened up that conversation and that dialogue and then asking what other resources we can bring into the clinical environment at the point mm-hmm. of care. Uh, so we've talked about a few different models and things that we're looking at. One uh, particular is uh, fairly simple, like the pause, uh, if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. That is uh, when someone passes away, uh, that the team yeah. takes 30 seconds to 60 seconds to just reflect on that life and, and make sure everyone's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, it seems like a short period of time, but really a lot happens in 30 seconds. Bob, do you have yeah. more to add? Yeah, I was just, you know, yeah, just, um, you know, we've... Um, you know, just to continue along, you know, some of the, the same uh, pathway that uh, kids talked about and we were talking about. But we've had, um, you know, the sessions with staff in our COVID cohorted units with Dr. Tim Cunningham. Tim Cunningham is a, is a nurse uh, leader, uh, and he's done a lot of um, uh, information or classes on resiliency. Uh, he, he was uh, a frontline nurse in Africa during the Ebola crisis and, oh. and uh, was, you know, had to don... Uh, PPE and and uh, how to really interact or to have that relationship with the patient through the PPE. Uh, so mm-hmm. he's uh, he's well versed on that. You can find him on uh, his talks on TEDx as, as well. Uh, but we've had that. Uh, we he also co-hosted a uh, you know thinking about that levity that um, uh, Kit was talking about through TikTok. Right. But you know during Nurses Week, um, you know we we hosted a virtual dance with DJ Trauma. And uh, so people from all over Emory Healthcare, nurses uh, were able to come online and, and uh, be part of this virtual dance uh, for, for a while uh, during Nurses Week. So lots, yeah. of, lots of different things there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's amazing, um, again, how if you can laugh, even in these horrible, difficult situations, it's kind of gallows humor. But if you can laugh, it, it just lets go of a lot of the tension and um I, I'm sure there's a whole chemical system that, that happens in there, too. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to put in a plug, too, um, on my website, uh, both on Facebook and on uh, LinkedIn. I have a page called COVID Corner, and I'm trying to put there a lot of these kinds of things, any um, uh, support resources for nurses that can use them across the country if they feel like they can't talk to somebody within their own system that they can talk to somebody, um, you know, from somewhere else who is um, 
uh, credentialed and able to do that kind of work. So um, the Holistic Nurses Association has been doing quite a bit of that. And um, I know that across the country, I'm hearing more about nursing salons, just different places where you can confidentially, you know, contact people, uh, usually on a Zoom format or something along that line, and just be able to to open up about some of those things that maybe you haven't been able to talk to anybody about. Um, just such a relief. And many times that's what we hear at the end of the sessions is this has been just such a relief to have people hear me and not think I'm like a terrible person because my patient died or, you know, I forgot a med or whatever it would be that they've been worrying about. Um, uh I lost my train of thought there. So if there's anything, you know, that you have that people could tap into from across the country, just let me know. I would be more than happy to put it on that COVID corner uh, as resources. Uh, Some of the things have been uh, pictures people have been sending, uh, videos of people's experiences, both positive and and touching. Uh, And I think those all help nurses, too, to really hear it's not just them. Other people are experiencing these things, too. So um, we're, uh, I guess um, we pretty much talked about that whole thing with the the moral trauma. Um, It just seems like uh, as you look forward, going forward, hopefully there will be an end of this at some point or at least some place where we feel like we've got a handle on it. What do you see for healthcare in the future and maybe particularly for nurses? Um, Bob, what what do you see um, nursing becoming or, or healthcare becoming? Well, I think, um, you know, what we've learned over the last three months and, you know, especially what I've been able to learn is that there is a lot of collaboration, you know, across disciplines, uh, medical providers, uh, you know, that I've listened to or talked to over the last three months have a whole new respect for what nurses bring to the table. Uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, great support from that regard. I think that we'll learn a lot from this. And, again, we're not out of the the weeds yet or out of the woods yet, but uh, we'll continue to learn a lot through this, too. But I see that there's going to be more collaboration, interprofessional collaboration uh, within healthcare systems or hospitals, more so probably than than where we've been. Uh, We'll learn how to get things done because we, not all of us, have uh, had our normal, and I'm using air quotes here, normal meetings in the last three months. Uh, but the operations of, the, of our hospitals have continued to go on uh, as, we, as we continue not to, to lose the ball on, on our, our, each of our operating plans and, and outcomes that we wanted to achieve in there as well. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot that we can do. As for nurses, um, you know, they're healthcare heroes. Uh, we've seen the rise to the call. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to be a, a voice and an advocate for the nursing profession in our professional organizations across the country, internationally, uh, the, the work that can be done to, to collaborate. We'll learn from our, our international colleagues uh, uh, just as much uh, as, we, as we've learned from each other here. But, um, uh, and we'll lean in. We'll lean in on, on each other for, for a lot of those answers. Mm-hmm. Um, Kit, anything that you'd like to add to that? What, where do yeah, you see I, the future I, of healthcare and nursing? 
Yeah, just to echo some of Bob's comments there, I really do think that this pandemic has helped highlight the voice of nursing, and I think it's also helped with our own self-identity. You know, as mm-hmm. we went through this, we, uh, as a profession, really leaned into what we do every day and what kind of difference that makes and then what kind of voice we do have at the table. So I think the interdisciplinary uh, teamwork will improve, that we'll continue to uh, build upon that foundation, but I think it really has helped with uh, nursing in general to really see that we are those healthcare heroes and this is what we do every day. And this is now taking it to that next level of where do we go from here and how can we use this momentum to continue to advocate for the profession, for our patients and, and better get resources that we need. Um, I'll throw this out to both of you. Um, do you feel like that uh, inter, um, uh, interconnectedness of, of all the different levels of, uh, I think healthcare has been known for being kind of a hierarchical system. Um, do you feel like there's a, a melding emerging of some of those with everyone, even to the env- environmental services um, people? Do you feel like there's more of a family or a connected feeling than maybe what is in normal, quote-unquote, normal times? Uh, Bob? I do. I think the, you know, again, what we've been able to witness over over the last three or four months has been pretty remarkable. When you think about the collaboration and the support across all the different disciplines and how interconnected everybody really is to making, making it all work. Uh, the EBS worker at the bedside uh, had a significant role. The phlebotomist uh, in that uh, in that same setting, respiratory therapy, our medical staff, providers, and um, and our nursing teams, um, even our our unit secretary. I think there's a there's a lot of opportunity when you think about that uh, interprofessional uh, connectedness there. Um, but yes, I think that um, we'll see it continue to advance. Good. I hope that can continue. Kit, anything to add there? <laughs> Yeah, no, just again, echoing those comments, I, I think that we will move forward uh, together and that as we've gone through this, we've recognized, again, different aspects of uh, everyone's role and how we as a, a, you know, healthcare organizations really are so, so independent or sorry, interdependent on everyone uh, within the organization to make it run. So I, I think this has opened our eyes to a lot of that and we'll continue to see that. Uh, so, Kit, while I'm still with you, we're kind of coming to the end of the show here. Um, if you can think of, is there one thing that you would really like to say to other chief nursing officers across the country and across the world, what would it be? I think my my biggest piece of this advice, is, again, goes back to that uh, vulnerability and communication. I, I know that as a, a new leader in an organization taking over from a successful and loved CNO, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was a challenge for me to uh, step up into that role. Uh, but ultimately, recognizing that during these crises and during any of these uh, opportunities uh, for vulnerability and to let everyone know that uh, I am human, too, that uh, I'm, I'm tired and I, I uh, feel your pain and that ultimately I w- you do project strength and you do project confidence, but at the same time, uh, this is uncharted territory for everybody. So leaning into that, being vulnerable, but then also being transparent and having that communication with everyone that, again, it's okay to, to not have all the answers and not know everything, uh, but right. that we're going to do this together and that we're going to solve this together. Great. So, Bob, uh, it, what would be the one thing you'd want other CNOs to know? I think um, the you know the one thing I'm you know I'm the past president of the American Organization for Nursing Leadership, and I would say nursing leadership matters. Um, you know the mission of uh, the American Organization for Nursing Leadership is to shape healthcare through innovative and expert nursing leadership. 
there's a lot that goes into the competencies of a, of a nurse leader, and part of it is that uh, interconnected or the interprofessionalism that goes there. And nursing leadership isn't defined as somebody as a chief nursing officer. Nursing leadership really is mm-hmm. any nurse, because uh, a nurse right. at the bedside is uh, making leadership decisions uh, and advocating for care of that patient or communicating with the providers or the interdisciplinary interprofessional teams. Uh, so from the bedside nurse to the boardrooms across the countries, uh, the voice of nursing and the voice of nursing leadership is, um, is well-respected, and, uh, and people want to hear what nurses have to say, and they're looking to nurses to make a, uh, continue to make a difference in healthcare. Uh, so that's um, that would probably be my parting parting words there. That's an exciting thought because so often nurses have been sort of hidden, and now I think nurses are really coming forward and being seen for a lot more of what we do than what anybody suspected. Um, I'd like to end the show here. Um, this has been a wonderful show, and I, I really appreciate both of my guests, Bob Dent, who is Vice President in Patient Care Services and Chief Nursing Officer for Emory Decatur Hospitals, and Kit Bredemus, uh, Vice President of Nursing and Chief Nursing Officer for Midland Memorial Hospital in Midland, Texas, uh, for coming on. And I'd like to end this with um, just uh, some uh, notes that uh, came on a, a, a LinkedIn discussion that was um, following Bonnie Clipper had put forth uh, a graphic story as a post uh, that had been done by the NBC by NBC called the COVID Chronicles Volume One. I'm thinking you're going to see more of that and uh, called an, a nurse's anguish in the ICU. And so it set up a lot of discussion. And we had one person who joined the discussion was Kent Savage. He's a retired healthcare executive, and he says he's a thought provoker. He said, um, what I would be doing, uh, I asked him what he would be doing if he was in charge now, and he said, what I would be doing is having conversations with nurses to find collaborative ways to address their frontline issues effectively, reduce their physical and mental fatigue, and find them help. Most of the organizations for which I have worked have found numerous rationalizations for having nurses care for more patients during their shifts than reasonable or safe. Today, we see the result of that, the mental fatigue so aptly described in this COVID Chronicles um, uh, graphic uh, story. Nurses must be recognized not only as the deliverer of medications, the monitor of vital signs, the coordinator of ancillary procedures, et cetera, but also, and most importantly, the human connection between the science of healthcare and the patient, the friend, the confidant, and so very often the surrogate family member. Then after their shift, they return to their families to be mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, grandparents, significant others, all the roles, relationships, joys, sorrows, successes, and challenges of life beyond their career. Nurses need reasonable work hours, reasonable time off, and top pay for the incredible multifaceted work they complete day after day. What they don't need are unreasonable policies, requirements to work additional shifts if asked whether or not they are physically or emotionally able to do so. CEOs and CNOs need to up their game for adequate staffing and find other ways for cost reductions than subpar staffing that allow them to acquire their bonus pay for improved and financial operations. Finally, he said, 
I have to say that while nurses bear the brunt of the challenges, there are respiratory therapists, radiologic technologists, lab technologists, physical therapists, cardiac technologists, electro-neurodiagnostic technologists, occupational therapists, EBS employees, work, food service workers, and many other groups and healthcare organizations who need the same consideration. Our failure as leaders is to focus on bottom line results rather than the journey to get results. The great results happen when there is a balance and a great culture. With that, I'd like to end our show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you will tell your friends about this. Um, the podcast will be available by tomorrow. Thank you. This has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I'm Leanne Meyer. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.